0: All right, church. So we're going through a sermon series that's called "Sent." Right. Uh, so if you've been with us, then what you know is, you know, we we had Easter Sunday, resurrection. Jesus got up from the grave, right? And then the following Sunday, we talked about how Jesus really restored the apostle Peter. He needed a friend, and Jesus is the best of friends. And so he cooks some breakfast. He tells him, "Listen, do you love me?" He reminds him, essentially of his love, of God's love for Peter, even in the midst of failure. Well, we're actually going to, we're going to follow that narrative. So if you're familiar with the, the, let's say the Bible narrative, what you know is what's next is the book of Acts, okay? So we're going to spend some time there because what I want us to see today is that you and I have been called to be witnesses to the gospel, to Christ. To the onlooking world, okay? So, we've been calling this thing Mission 333. I'm not gonna get into it much today, but you're gonna hear a lot about it starting next week. But I do want you to be mindful, and I want you to be thinking about it, and I want you to think about it right now. So, mission what I'm saying is, I am encouraging you over the next three months, starting in June, July, and August. There's one of your threes, Mission 333, right? There's one three that you'll do, you'll identify three people that are already in your life that don't know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, right? And so who are they? I don't know. Pray. Ask God. And if you're like, I don't know three people who are lost. Well, there's a sign. You ought to get to know some folks, right? Like, get out your Christian bubble and actually say hello to some lost folks. They're all around you. I promise. So get to know them. So identify those three. And then over the next three months, what I want us to do is to specifically, intentionally be dedicated towards praying for them. Pray. I want you to pray that the Lord would allow them to see the beauty of the gospel, okay? Through then praying, we also want to look for opportunities to show that we care about them, that could, that could look like a lot of things. It could be inviting them into your home for some hospitality, some barbecue, whatever it is you do. It could be taking them out for coffee. It could be serving them. I'm not trying to figure that out with you today, but that's what I want you to do. So, prayer, care. The last piece is we want to get to a point where, by God's grace, we have an opportunity to share. To share to share the life-giving news of Jesus Christ. And you might be like, right? Like it's terrifying. I can do the others. I promise I'll get in a closet and I'll pray. I promise to like give someone a bouquet of flowers, but you actually want me to tell them that Jesus Christ died for sinners and that they are? I'm gonna need some help. Well, I agree. You are. And that's what today's about. We're empowered with the Holy Spirit with a powerful message. That's what today's sermon is about. You're not on your own in this mission that God has called us to, okay? So, what are you sent to do? You know, we call the sermon series Sent. What are you sent to do? What mission are you to accomplish? Well, we talked a lot about that in January, but I got to tell you, we live in a time where it becomes more and more ambiguous as to what the church is actually attempting to do in the world right? We're, we're giving people clothing. I think you should do that. And, and on and on, you're feeding people. And all these things are good, but I want to make sure that we understand that our main mission is that we are witnesses to the resurrection of Christ, to the onlooking world. That's what we're sent to do. For the city church, make no mistake about it, if you're going to be a part of this church, this is what it means to be a part of this church, that we exist to magnify Jesus, to to bring the realities of Christ to bear onto the lives of the people that are looking by the way that we live, right? By making disciples, we make disciples. You're born again, but a disciple is made, teaching you to walk with God. How will you know? Because a disciple will begin to share and show the transforming power of the gospel to those who look. There's a different distinct flavor about the Christian. You should know them when you see them. I want to live in such a way that I make people who are not convinced of the gospel uncomfortable when I come around. Not not because I've got like Reese's, King of King, or whatever that t-shirt is, right? That makes me uncomfortable. If you have one, cool, rock it, right? Just be, you know, real confident in wearing it. I, I want you to be uncomfortable because at any moment, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just dropping the J word because I love you. We're, we're gonna talk. We're gonna have intentional conversations, and that thing's fine. It's, it's actually, I think it would be. It's not gonna bite you or sting you. So eyes here <laughs> to seek. The opportunity to share and to show the transforming power of the gospel and to plant churches that multiply. That's why we exist as a church, plain and simple. Make no mistake about it. Well, how, how are we gonna do this? That's a great question. And I think you'll see the answer all throughout the Bible, but specifically in the book of Acts. So I'm gonna read the first 11 verses, but we're, listen, I'm not gonna teach this whole text, because this is a more of a topical sermon, right? And so, but it's a text topical. But you're going to see much of my work is going to come from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But I want to read the whole thing so you get the context of what's happening in your head. Okay? Ready? Listen up. All right. In the first book, O Theopolis, don't have time to talk about him. Hang in for Luke. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He began something in his ministry. He's now ascending to the Father. And, oh, he's going to continue to do work even while he's on the throne. That's good to know which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That had been wild. Well, this has been straight up. That's, that's interesting. He's on a cloud, and there he goes, right? So that's what happened. <laughs> And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, listen, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why are you looking up? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Essentially what he's saying, get to work. Quit looking in the clouds. You have a job to do. You have been sent. Go. Now, actually, if you know the the, the narrative of Acts, they were to go and they were going to pray and to wait for the power that they needed to do the task and the mission that they were called to do. I I love how in, in this text, each of the opening 11 verses magnifies Christ. He's in every one, either by the form of Jesus, he, him, right, me, talking. He's in every verse. Why is that important? Well, because I want you to understand everything we're doing is all about Christ. It's all about King Jesus and him crucified and resurrected, making a way for sinners to come into everlasting joy of the father. It's all about him, right? He began his ministry and it continues. Why does it continue? Jesus's ministry continues because the king is not dead. We've got to get this. It continues because he's alive, he's ruling, he's reigning, he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father, he's mediating a relationship between a holy God, a sinful people to come into the joy of the Father. And it continues through the advancement because we are his witnesses and we have his word and we have his spirit. And man, if if we're going to do anything in this city that magnifies Jesus, you better understand that. I've seen churches do a lot of things that were devoid of both, and they might be good, but it doesn't magnify much of anything. We need his word, because apart from his word, you really can't know him. And we need his spirit, because apart from his spirit, you could just read words. And we need his power, because if we're going to do anything, like the last song we just sung, not I, but Christ through me, you better understand, you are not the answer, my friends. But Christ is. He's given us himself, and he's given us his word. And so this is where we begin. So point one, on your little map thing there, right? We are sent as witnesses with the power of the Holy Spirit. You see it in verse eight. Jesus's work of seeking and saving the lost comes and continues through his empowered witnesses. Acts, the book of Acts, is, is not merely just church history. I think some people read it like that, but but it's, it is history, but it's history of the mission of the early church of God's people. It it is the, the acts of the Holy Spirit through his people and what he accomplished, right? I mean, to be clear, make no mistake about it. The apostles certainly led the church, but the gospel, the greatest advancements of the gospel were largely through gospel nobodies people you and I have just never heard of. When we gather around the throne and we worship King Jesus for all of eternity, you're going to meet men, women, and children who had done stunning things. You're like, I never read about you. I never heard about you because it ain't about them. It's not about them, but they were used mightily. And you don't know that. Right? Why is that? Because it's all about Christ. Christ is magnifying himself to the world. It's through the efforts of very ordinary people. This should be good news because you should be thinking, that's me. Me too. Right? Very ordinary people, unordained. It's the first question everybody asks You're a pastor, where'd you go to school? Elderton High School. <laughs> They're never impressed. I wasn't either through uneducated people. You're like, I apply. Good. Very unimpressive people, like got that one nailed. This is how the gospel advances. They're just regular people indwelt with an amazing God through the Holy Spirit, right? They met, listen, the apostles met the resurrected and ascended King Jesus. They, we are to joyfully worship him and joyfully obey him as empowered witnesses this is what we're to do what's a witness can i get a witness right what's a witness well ask johnny depp right that's the talk of the town right now right what about johnny and why don't you know what the girl's name what a train wreck that is right but but can i just tell you a witness is someone who attests to a fact that's what a witness is and so, in order to be an effective witness for King Jesus, one must have first hand knowledge of him. First hand knowledge of Jesus. And you might be thinking, uh, well, wait a minute. Um, I'm not actually a first hand witness of the resurrection of Christ. So, that's weird. I actually didn't see him get nailed to a cross, I actually didn't see him triumphantly resurrect from the grave. And I would say that's true, and if it's not true for you, we've got to talk after service because that means you've got a weird story, and I'm longing to hear it, right? Um, but But it's also true we're not on mission on our own. We're not witnessing on our own. We have the triune God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God living in all who believe so our witness is not by ourselves we have the word of god we have the spirit of god therefore we have been empowered entrusted and commanded to be witnesses to the onlooking world all who are in christ god sends out very ordinary people who are equipped with the word of god empowered by the spirit of god submit to King Jesus who is the Son of God in order to bring about the mission of God until the day we drop or until the day Jesus returns. That's what your life's about. And you're like, well, but what about ice cream? Eat it to the glory of God, right? Like, because those are the pressing questions, right? Everything you do is witness, witnessing, testifying to the truth claims of what Jesus has said about himself or it's not. And I want to see a church who who understands that. It takes much prayer. It takes much power. We've got to be a praying people. We cannot do this thing on our own, and we don't have to. We have the gift of the Spirit, right? And so the work of the Spirit. Let's talk briefly about this. I have tons of text here. I'm only going to read a couple. If you want more, I'll give you more, right? But listen to this. It's in John 16, 5 through 11. What you're going to see, if you listen here, is you're going to see and you're going to hear that the Holy Spirit's ministry includes convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, so listen up. So, so now, Jesus is saying, But now I'm going to him, the Father who sent me. And none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Imagine, you're walking with Jesus for three years, you're doing life with him, and he's like, I'm about to peace out, fam. Uh, where are you going? I'm going back to the Father. Uh, Tell us more about that. You think they know more than they know in this moment. They don't. He says, but nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage (laughs) that I go away. It's to your advantage that I leave. I don't know, Jesus. I mean, I was struggling to get some, some fish, but you just like make a couple fish turn into thousands of fish and we get to eat that. You're pretty good with bread I mean, I've seen you water ski across water and you didn't have a boat or water skis. That's pretty stunning. I don't know that it's better that you go away. My my life was kind of boring until you came around. Now it's pretty awesome. We're casting out demons. You raised the dead dude. I mean, is it better? He says, yeah, it's, it's better. I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Don't miss this. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, listen, he, he, the Holy Spirit, he, I I say this because I think a lot of times within church, we, we, we make the Holy Spirit very mystical and weird, right? He's like a smoky little creature. (laughs) We call him it, right? Like cousin it full of hair or something. No, we worship one God, three distinct persons, father, son, spirits. He's a very real person he is God. He's God. We should never trifle with the Holy Spirit, thinking he's like kind of lesser than. He's God. And it says, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has, is judge, meaning Satan. Don't miss this. Anytime you testify or share the gospel to anybody, you're never alone. That word is never alone. It's never alone. Don't confuse the benefits or the response of evangelistic work with whether I was good in evangelism. You could share the gospel honestly, truthfully, compellingly before people and have them say, mm, I'm just interested in ice cream. Thank you very much. Peace. Does not mean you didn't do the evangelistic work. Don't confuse results with what it is to testify. You're responsible to testify to the truth of what is. The response, that's on them. And we trust that to the Lord. You just never know what God's doing in that moment. Okay, so we see there, right, that the Holy Spirit's ministry, as you're working, as you're witnessing, He's convicting of sin. He's showing you don't measure up to God. Who's you? Everyone. Right? He's showing... That Jesus Christ is the righteous one, that God is righteous, that you and I, we are not righteous, and that there is a judge, and his name is Jesus, and he's coming back, and he's going to raise the living and the dead, and he will judge in perfect righteousness. And you could say, yeah, but I didn't know, and it won't matter. Every tongue will be stopped in that moment. And they will all bend knee and they will all confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords and that he is the King of kings. And in that moment, nobody has an option. I don't want to. It doesn't matter. You will. But we've been sent to say, we're in a season of mercy. We're in a season of grace. Oh, let me tell you about what Christ has done. Come and receive Come and receive forgiveness. Oh, my sin is many, but as we sung, his mercy is so much more. We're here because we want to see people who are in the domain of darkness come to his brilliant light into the kingdom of God. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's why we get out of bed. That's why why we do anything we do. I mean, I just got to thinking about how enjoyable it was to watch the Plum Kids play ball yesterday. But can I just tell you there's nothing about that that's ordinary. You're witnessing to two children that, that God's love transcends to all age groups. We're showing up in force and the way we're interacting and loving one another is a witness to people. But there's got to come a point we have got to bring the witness as we build relationships to the people in proclamation of the gospel. But you're like, I don't know if I can do that. I feel you. I really do. But can I just tell you, The Holy Spirit of God in a submitted and committed follower of Christ will do that. Can I just read? I'm going to rattle off a bunch of texts. Don't try to flip to them in your Bible. You'll not keep up unless you're an overachiever. And even then, I don't think you can. Acts 13, 46, it says, Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly when the Jews publicly reviled them. In Acts 14.3, in Iconium, they were so vigorously opposed so that they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. In Ephesus, Apollo spoke boldly in the synagogue in Acts 18.26. In Ephesus, Paul taught in the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And can I just tell you right now, I think we're in a seasons where you will have to work to bring the gospel to people. The days of drive-by evangelism. Let me just tell you, Jesus died for sinners. Bam. I mean, I guess it's better than saying nothing, but you kind of need a little bit more. You're a sinner. What? People don't even know what that means. Thanks. You're weird. <laughs> Jesus is king. We have a president. I mean, you have to explain things he reasoned with them for three months. They were inoculated with this religion. We are in a post Christian world where nobody thinks about these terms anymore. And we just come up and say, Jesus loves you. Well, he does, but that doesn't tell me anything. You're a sinner. You are, you're going to have to work. You are going to have to work. You're going to have to labor It's going to take time. You're going to have to invest. You're going to have to be intentional. Could God just save them through the proclamation of the gospel? Yes, he could. But in this text, we see that he reasoned. He debated. He argued. He labored. Well, we must do the same. We must do the same. Acts 28, 31 says, and the last thing we, by the way, this is the last thing we know about the apostle Paul. He was under house arrest in Rome, and here's what he said. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. That's what, that's what was said about the Apostle Paul. Did you notice one word that was common throughout those texts? Bold. Bold. Right? There's, there's many functions of the spirit in the life of the believer. Um, for instance, like comforting, teaching, right? Making us more like Christ. Right? Working in us, bringing about sanctification, bringing about truth, assisting us, helping us put sin to death, right? Helping us pray, and even when we can't pray, praying on behalf of us. I mean, so many things. However, make no mistake about it, his aim is to magnify Christ. It's his aim. It is his aim. They they call him the shy member of the Trinity. All he does is just want to put Jesus up so that the world can say, he's amazing. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, in the life of empowering witnesses to share and to show the transforming power of the gospel. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to live and speak more boldly for Christ? Think about it. Do you want to live and speak more boldly for Jesus Christ? I do. I do. I so desperately do. I think Here's the thing, though. I think many people say, yeah, yeah, oh, I want to be more bold. But then they quickly run to, but that's just not who I am. It's not who I am, right? It's, and then and, and before you know it, they start talking about their personality trait, their enneagram, whether they're a beaver or a lion. And they tell me a thousand reasons why they cannot be bold for Christ. But, but they don't pray, maybe. Maybe they do. But then they don't trust that he's going to give them the power when the moment's needed. In fact, some, some, someone who's so timid and soft-spoken, I just want you to know, can be mega bold for Christ. Mega bold for... I've seen it. Some of the most bold people I've ever seen for Christ, they're like little just church mouse throughout the week. But boy... When it comes, to just, I want to tell you about Christ. They're bold like a lion, not a church mouse, right? But I've I've, got to tell you, I've seen the most outspoken extrovert shrink back and be a coward in the moment when it was needed that you would speak about Christ. Boldness is, as seen throughout the Bible, is, is responding to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. That's boldness. It's not about you. It's not about your Enneagram number. It's not about whether, where your personality trait lies. Those things God has gifted you with to magnify Him for sure. But it's not what it's primarily about. If we're going to be bold witnesses, you and I must pray. We must pray. Next week, we're going to talk a lot about prayer. And everyone's like, I never pray enough. Welcome to church. That's true of all of us. Get over it. We're going to start praying. We're going to talk about it next week. But we must pray for power for power we must we must pray to be filled with the spirit oh hold on preacher aren't i already filled with the spirit if i'm in christ yes you are and yet paul tells us to be filled with the holy spirit and to pray that i would understand the depth and the width all the things that is christ it's not like you have the holy spirit just in your little big toe little big toe in your big toe little big toe makes no sense right He's there, but your understanding of fully realizing that, you will never understand fully realize that. Therefore, we must ask for more power. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm a coward. You okay with saying that? Help me to not be a coward. Help me in the moments when I'm I'm ready to just shrink back and not declare your greatness that you'd remind me that you're with me that you would embolden me, that you would empower me, and that, that I wouldn't come off as some courageous jerk, but I would actually come off as like just a compassionate Jesus lover who just knows where to find good food and tell them, here's where food is to be found. That's courage. We must pray. We must move. 18 minutes, that clock went quick this morning. Don't worry about it. Point two. We are sent with the gospel message, which is the power of God in verbal form. Listen to this text. This text is mind-blowing to me. Romans 1, 14 through 17, once again, not going to talk a ton about it. You're like, well, well why not? Because I want to hone in on not being ashamed and the power of the message we preach, okay? So he says, I am under, ob-. so this is the Apostle Paul talking, he says, I'm under obligation. Think about that word. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. We don't really have barbarians. We've got some crazy people in Greensburg though, Both to the wise, we got that, to the foolish, definitely have that. And so he says, I'm eager. I am so eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why? Because the word for means because I'm eager to preach it because why? Why, Paul, why are you eager? Because I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? because. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's think about that text for a minute. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a conference that's called CrossCon, Con. Cross conference, right? And I used to go there with, with uh, college students. And what they were aiming to do was to get you to think about your life in light of eternity and not waste an ounce of it. And I remember going there and I just love it. Here's two quotes from one of the conferences that, that I think encapsulates what's being said here. And I want you to hear it. One of them was said by David Platt. He said this saved people this side of heaven, right? You haven't taken a dirt nap yet. Oh, the gospel to lost people this side of hell. Well, that'll preach. Think about that. You ever think about yourself owing the gospel to people around you? And at the same conference, John Piper said this, there are a thousand needs in the world. We could agree with that. None of them compares to the global need for the gospel. People need clean water. They do need clean water. We should work hard to get them clean water. But you know what they need? They need living water. And you got to give them clean water so they live long enough to actually hear the news about actual living water, right? We've got to work. They're not in opposition, but you could give clean water all day, and if you don't ever actually share the life-giving news of the gospel, they die and they go to hell having their bellies full of clean water. Don't miss your mission. Don't miss why you exist. Don't miss why you get out of bed. You can see where they got the idea for these these quotes right namely the bible it's all over it the apostle paul says he sees himself as obligated obligated to greeks and to non-greeks to the wise to the foolish no matter their ethnic or intelligent background i am obligated to you do you ever think like that do you ever think about yourself as obligated or indebted to get the good news of jesus to your neighbors to your friends to your enemies did you just ever think like that? If not, time to change your thinking. And, and by the way, if you come to church and never have to have your thinking challenged, you're amazing. Or not paying attention. Every time I come to the Word of God, I'm having my stinking thinking realigned. And I have stinking thinking, right? You do too. You do too. So will you, by God's grace, seek? To change. Do you think of yourself as obligated and indebted to everyone and everywhere? Do you, right? How about to the kids? Serve the kids. You think about that? To the elderly? To the highly educated at Seton Hill? How about that? To the rich? To the poor? To the Cleveland Brown fans? To people who say yins? I struggle with that one. There's enough people that would get them. How about to everyone? Do you? Are you burdened to get the gospel to everyone? Can I just say something? If not, then where you begin is with confession. God, forgive me. I don't have your heart for people. Change my heart. Right? That's where you begin. You're needing to have your mind transformed. You need to have the mind of Christ. Set your mind on the things of Christ. Fuel your mind with the Word of Christ, because what you're needing in that moment, and I remember being there, is to see, to see, not with these eyes, but the eyes of your heart. You need to see God's love for people who are outside of Him. He loves them. He sent His Son to die for them. His people ought to love those people. I was one of those people. Can I get an amen? I was too young to cause a lot of havoc in Whitesburg, Pennsylvania, but... But I did my fair share. And everybody's like, "You're a pastor." I'm like, "I know. I have the same I had the same moment." I'm like, "Whoa." Right? I was those people. Jesus loves to save those people cuz guess what? That's all there is. That's that's all there is. Great faith flows from a great understanding of the love of God. Oh, it just does the love of God is most powerfully seen. I say seen because you have to see his glory through the gospel, through the cross, through the resurrection. That is where you most vividly see the love of God for those who rebel against him and hate him. That's where we see it. And when you see the love of God more clearly, you will not be able to shut up about it. I promise you. So, so what you need to do is not get to doing, but get to seeing. And you can't get to seeing apart from the power of the Spirit and His Word. So you got to get your mind in the Word. Notice that Paul says he's eager to preach the gospel. I mean, i got to thinking about this. There's a thousand things I'm eager to do, and preaching is one of them. I actually love preaching, but there was a time I was like, I'd rather do anything. I'd rather like play in the wood chipper while it's on. I didn't want to. I fought it. I was, I was anxious. I would sweat. I was like Spongebob. My wife, I remember the first sermon I ever preached. My wife like puts her hand on my lap and she's like, ooh, that's gross. And then she like does this and it's like, I'll pray for you, honey. I was terrified, stumbling, fumbling. It, I wanted to do anything, but I couldn't help but do it. I could not help but do it. But can I tell you, my preaching didn't start there. My preaching started to all the people who were out smoking dope in the back of the Indiana Mall. Yeah, they did that. They worked at a call center. They probably couldn't get a job elsewhere because their records were really bad. And I said, these people need Jesus. And I started to share the gospel there. Can I just tell you, you're called to share the gospel. You're called. Everyone needs the gospel. Both those who are inside the church, that means Christians, and those who are outside the church. Why? Because this is how people come to faith in Christ, and you and I cannot be made right apart from trusting and believing in what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection. It's by faith, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way. Well, I have to do some things too. Yeah, trust him. What's my work? Believe in him. That's it. But, but, but then when you come to faith in Christ, what you need to know is you need the gospel too. So we feed on this good news constantly and as we do, we're built up in the faith, we're established in the faith and then we go and we share to the people in the left. Right? You know what I mean by that? Right? Like, so why should I be eager to preach the gospel to this city? Because I've seen the great love of God. Most clearly through the gospel. I've seen His love for me. Me personally. Me corporately with you. You is plural in that sense. I've seen it. I've seen his love, and it's not, it's not ambiguous. It's, it's so defined and so clear. I just don't feel like God loves me. He, what more could he do? What more could he do? He sent his son to die in your place. He had every right to crush you send you to hell where you would spend eternity apart from all his goodness, which is, by the way, ice cream too. Lost people enjoy ice cream right now. You can go over to the meadows if they're open on Sunday and you can get yourself a heaping spoonful of ice cream and then another one until it's gone and you can buy more. That's that's grace. There's no ice cream in hell. You might think that's just so stupid, but, but you gotta understand, people who want nothing to do with God enjoy things from God all day, every day. There will be a day that will not be. There is no mercy in hell. There is no grace in hell, there is only judgment and wrath, which is what every human deserves. You're like, well, that's not very popular, Pastor. I know. Look around, so I wouldn't have a huge church. But it's the truth. If not, what are you getting saved from? A hangnail? Jesus saved me from a bad day. (sighs) Everyone needs the gospel. It's how people come to faith. It's how people grow in faith. So let me ask you a question. Are you eager or are you ashamed to share the gospel? You personally. Are you eager or are you ashamed to share the gospel? If you're ashamed, just you don't have to say it out loud, like, I'm ashamed, but you got to say it. Oh, I've been there. I've said it. In the quiet places of my heart, Lord, I shrunk from declaring your goodness because I was ashamed of you today. Please forgive me. He forgives you. He loves you. Let's be clear though. What is the gospel? We were at a workshop this week and they asked a bunch of pastors that. And um, let's just say you should never stop asking that question. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to say it as succinct as possible. There is more that could be said, but this is as succinct as I could get it. And it was pretty close when Kevin and I were there, and I wrote it down, and I was like, that's pretty good. But it's the news. The gospel is news, good news, or proclamation. The great news. That's what gospel means. The great news. Of what Jesus Christ, the righteous one, that he has died for our sins, that he has rose again, again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, Satan, sin, and death, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. That's good news. That's that's great news. Now evangelism doesn't happen until you say, no, you must respond to that news. Will you believe, or will you continue to live in unbelief? Why wouldn't we be eager to share this news with everyone? Why would we be ashamed to share this news? There's a lot of reasons, by the way. In every age, the temptation to be ashamed of the gospel is confronting us from many angles. It really is. Why? Well, in order to keep us shamefully silent on the sidelines. That's why. I mean, it's the craziest thing, right? The word translated ashamed also means offended. So how is the gospel offensive? That's a good question to think about. The primary reason the gospel is so offensive is because our hearts and minds are centered on ourselves. Can we just be real? I really like me. Really like me. I'm like a big fan of me. That's why like when the Lord says, you should love your neighbor as yourself, I'm like, I don't love anyone that much. I know that's why you need to change, Scott Rising right? Am I alone up here? Okay, good. Um, This is why it's so sad when I hear well-meaning Christians say, well, what they need is just a little more self-confidence in order to be happy. And I'm like, oh, gag me. What you don't need is more self-confidence. You have enough to go around, even if you're the person who stares at your navel and picks the lint out and says, oh, not me. You have way more because you're still thinking about you. What you need is God confidence. You need Jesus confidence. You need confidence that comes from truth of God's word. You need to look at him and stop looking at you. You have a worship problem. You cannot think about you when you're enamored with the glory of God and looking at him. You just can't. You just shrink. You just shrink. He becomes all the more true and real and beautiful. And you realize I'm not. And then you realize, but he saved me. And so he's, he's raised my level because I'm made in his image. And he delighted to save me. And now I'm his. I'm his son. If you're, you're his daughter, this is what he does. So why are we ashamed? Well, I'm going to give you a couple reasons and we're going to fly now. The gospel, by telling us that our salvation is free and undeserved, is really offensive. It's one reason. And you're like, why? Because it means that we have blown it so badly that the only way to gain salvation is to receive a gift. Namely, Jesus Christ crucified. This, by the way, offends moral and religious people all the time. Because they want to add to the good works of Jesus so that they can have a little bragging room. Yeah, well, I read my Bible twice a day. I'm better than you. I pray on my knees. That's how I got a hole in my jeans. You probably bought them that way. But I wore this one out, right? Like you want to add to it. That's why it's offensive, right? Okay, you're like, well, that's not me. How about this one? The gospel is also really offensive because it tells us that Jesus died for us. The only way that you can be saved is a, na- a man needed to get, live a perfect life, be stripped naked, be shamed, beat, and murdered in your place. Well, that sounds offensive because it tells us that we're so wicked, this is, it's, it really is offensive was so we're so wicked that the death of god's Son is the only way that we could be saved from god's wrath that's offensive this offends the modern cult of self-expression <laughs> it really does and, and the popular belief that we're basically good people no you're not you're not bas- you're basically evil and sometimes you do some good things it's, the gospel is offensive because It tells us that being good and spiritual isn't enough. Boy, does that offend people. I got my own way to Jesus. No, you really don't. In other words, this means that no good person will be saved, but only those who come to God through Jesus. This offends the modern notion that any nice person anywhere can find God in their own way through spiritual things. People love their autonomy. I mean, I'm cool with God. Just don't tell me what to do, God. They love to make their own decisions. They don't want to be directed by anybody else. We want to be our own God. This is offensive. The gospel is offensive. There's many more reasons people are ashamed of the gospel. But just notice, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, which, by the way, is shameful. The gospel is shameful, but he's not ashamed. The gospel brings about shaming. But why? Why is he not? Notice. Because it, it. What's it? Well, in that sentence structure, the gospel is the power of God. That's why I'm not ashamed. This is the power of God. Notice he doesn't say that it brings about power. He he doesn't say that that it even has power. He doesn't say that at all. He says the gospel message is actually the power of God oh, there's a big difference. See, don't confuse the the thought that words have power, right? You've all heard that. They do, in some sense, right? Hitler moved nations to do great evil through rhetoric. That's power, right? Well, Churchill, in the same way, in his own rhetoric and way, moved a nation to fight against that great evil to bring about the freedom. Words, they can move people, but those words don't have the power to bring about life. The Word of God actually has the power to bring people who are spiritually dead and warring against God to everlasting life, to enjoyment of God. Real power. God spoke everything into existence by words. His Word is powerful. No other words like that at all. The gospel actually is the power of God. So, this means that the gospel alone, when attested to by a witness with the power of the Holy Spirit, brings about life. Brings about life. Where there's only death and decay. Brings life. It brings forgiven sinners into the everlasting joy of King Jesus. Fully and finally. It makes rebels who are warring against God into adopted sons and daughters of that same God. Why? Because he's done it all. It reconciles us to God and guarantees us a place in the kingdom with the king forever. Power. The gospel is the most inclusive message in all the world and is the most exclusive message in all the world. How can you say that? Well, you can see it in the text. You just see it in the text. He says it to everyone, to the Jew first, to the Greek, to to the ends of the earth. Everyone. It came to the Jew first through Jesus, but it is also for those who are not Jewish, Gentile world, and to everyone and anyone. Yet he also says it's for everyone who believes in Jesus. That's what makes it exclusive. There's no doubt we must go and share this life giving news. You, You will be shamed. You'll be shamed for doing this, but we don't ever need to be ashamed. There's a big difference. You will be shamed, but you don't need to be ashamed. So you have two options, and this is it. You can either abandon the gospel or you can embrace the shame. That's your choice. What will you do? Jesus said in Mark eight thirty eight, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in glory with his father, with the holy angels. I mean, it amazes me how many people live lives of unashamed of shameful things. just not ashamed of things they ought to be shamed for. And they live ashamed of glorious truths that they ought to just embrace and trumpet to all the world. I understand the temptation to be ashamed and to tamper with the gospel happens because the gospel is offensive to non-Christians, right? We crave other people's acceptance. I get it. I'm there. We so desperately want people to like us. We want people to come to faith in Christ. That's such a lie so that we're tempted to twist it, to change it, to water it down, to make it something that's no longer good news, to make it more appealing to people, as though you have power. But each and every one of us, we are tempted to be ashamed of the gospel every time that we do this. We shrink back from declaring the bad news. That's temptation. Let me just tell you, Jesus loves you. No one's afraid to say that. I mean, it might be a couple. But I don't want to tell you the bad news. Well, The good news will never bear weight on their life until they understand they need rescued. They need salvation. And they won't understand that unless they understand the bad news. I'm, a, I'm tempted to be ashamed of the gospel when I make the gospel into a message about health, wealth, prosperity, and getting what you want out of this life. I'm tempted to be ashamed every time I present Jesus as my holy homeboy who helps us Rather than a Lord who rules us. These are the moments I'm ashamed. Church, we must not be ashamed of the gospel. If you are, don't stay there. Ask God to forgive you. He will. Ask God to empower you. He will. Ask God to help you see that the gospel is the greatest news ever. What is he going to say? He will. Oh, so do that. We need help to be bold. And God will help us. Well, that rest is probably another sermon. And I got other opportunities unless I die. So the third point, just read it. It's good. But then there's a whole bunch of stuff to say. We're sent into the world as empowered witnesses with a powerful message. And I had a whole other point there. but That'll probably get into where we actually share the gospel, which is the second to last sermon in this text or in this uh, sermon series. I am going to read one last text because I, I want you to hear the weight of it. And then I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll continue our worship service. This is exactly what the apostle Paul was called to do when Jesus called him. Listen to what Jesus said to Paul in Acts 26, 18. He says, I am sending you to open their eyes. Think about that. So that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what we're called to do. That's what you've been sent to do. You're like, I'm not Paul. I know, but we trust in the the, the apostles' teaching. Right? That's the Bible. That's the New Testament. So it's crazy that Jesus told Paul to do something that only Jesus can do. You and I don't have the power to open blind eyes. But Jesus told Paul to go do that. But that did not stop Paul from obeying And being used as a means for accomplishing Jesus' glorious end. God delights to work through instruments. And I don't even want to call you that because when you're done with an instrument, you put it away and you forget about it. His children, his people, those whom he loves, those whom he died to save. You. Right? So may our church have boldness, passion, desire to bring the gospel To the lives of those around us that's what we've been sent to do and Jesus is magnified greatly in those moments will you join me in prayer let's pray father thank you um, for this morning thank you for sending your son to save us to, to make a way for sinners to be reconciled But then right now, I just pray that you'd bear in mind the people that are in this room who are trusting you for their salvation, who it was that brought the good news to them so that they might be able to hear because faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ and that they would be encouraged to trust you and not their own abilities to bring the gospel to bear on the lives of the people around them. Holy Spirit, empower us. Convict us of our sin and our folly of being ashamed of you but then comfort us with the truth of the gospel. Remind us of your great love and then empower us to go out and share this good news for your glory and for our good and for the joy of the city. We ask you to do this in Christ's name, amen.